Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You ask for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is, by the way, January 14th, 2016. We have a, just a great guest today. Her name is Liz Crokin, and we're going to be talking about the secrets to overcoming serious illnesses, but more importantly, her book called Malice. And We'll discuss her motivation behind writing that book. Just to give you a little background, she's a seasoned journalist, and she covered Hollywood full-time pretty much for over a decade, until in October of 2012 when doctors diagnosed her with viral meningitis, a horribly serious um, condition. It, it swelled her brain. It, it you know, she ended up with some brain damage. She wasn't able to work or care for herself. It was basically a real nightmare. Um, and so we'll get more into what happened to her and why she has this really big goal of educating and helping others who struggle with illnesses in their lifetime. So let me bring her onto our show now. Welcome, Liz. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me on. We're just delighted. Oh, I usually start oh, my show out. <laughs> I usually start my show up by asking my my guests how they got on the path that they're on today. But um, with you, we've pretty much answered that question. We don't know yeah. all the details. So why don't you just go ahead and and start where you want to? Um. So in about it was about two thousand. It was the spring of 2012. I was working full-time as a senior editor slash reporter at Star Magazine. I was covering celebrities in Hollywood and living, working and living in Hollywood. I also traveled a lot for my job. So I'd go to, you know, events like the Sundance Film Festival, the Super Bowl, um, anywhere where celebrities go, I would go. And I really lived the life. I was making a six-figure salary. I was happy. I was healthy. I had this great job. I went to all these glamorous red carpet events. And um, and during this time period, I was single. Uh, but that changed pretty quickly after I met um, a guy that became my boyfriend through a mutual friend. And um, this person and I got into a... We got very serious real quickly, and I felt totally head over heels in love with him. And um, he was a little bit older and was divorced and had kids, but, it, you know, I really 
really liked him and we got very serious very fast and we're talking marriage and possibly starting a family together and all that stuff and it was really um the first time in my life where I kind of felt that I had focused a lot of my time and energy on my career and not so much on relationships so I kind of felt ready to get serious with someone and you mm-hmm. know eventually get married and settle down and wow. about 6 months into our relationship I started getting very ill, (laughs) and that's when my house of cards just completely started to crumble. Um, Initially, my symptoms for my illness were all vaginally related. So um, initially, I thought that I had a urinary tract infection or a yeast infection, which is pretty common, and, Mm, you know, the, the those are minor, you know, female issues that most women get and can be treated fairly easily and they're not life-threatening. And so I saw a doctor and I was treated for a yeast infection and for a urinary tract infection. And in the past, whenever I've gotten those kinds of infections, you know, antibiotics usually knocks it out within 24 hours. At least you start feeling better right after you take medicine. Sure. And in my situation, um, the opposite happened. Uh, my symptoms became exasperated. They became worse and worse and worse. And at the time, it, it didn't even really occur to me that I could have an STD because I was in my belief to be a committed and monogamous relationship. At least that's mm-hmm. what I was told. And sure. that's what I was in. I was only sleeping with my then-boyfriend and... So, anyways, um, my symptoms got worse and worse and worse, and um, it got so bad to the point where I literally, my then-boyfriends and I were in San Francisco for a weekend trip, and it got so bad that I ended up waking up in the middle of the night and, uh, like, went into the bathroom and was sitting on the toilet, just bawling, crying in tears, holding my crotch. I mean, I was in so much pain. I couldn't urinate. Oh I, like, there, there, I was oh, in so much geez. pain down there. I I can't even describe it. And I've had urinary tract infections. I've been painful. And this was like, doesn't even compare. It was, I mean, I, I literally, I remember like sitting in the toilet and crying and then being in so much pain and then like just laying on the bathroom floor, the cold tiles on the bathroom floor because I could not stand up. It was that painful. So at that point, uh, I knew something was very wrong, and I told my boyfriend at the time that I needed to go to the emergency room or a a clinic, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that morning we went to a clinic before it even opened, and uh, the doctor there said that that I probably had an STD, and I probably had gonorrhea or chlamydia, and Mm. and, or or I possibly could could have had a UTI that had spread to my kidneys. And oh but Lord. since I was out of town at the time, he's like, we could test you for STDs, but we won't get the results back for a week, and you don't live here. And on top of that, I was just transitioning from one job to another job within the same company I was working at. But I didn't have my new insurance hadn't kicked in yet, so I didn't have any insurance. So like I was reluctant to get all these tests done in a city where I didn't even live. And so I basically was like, I'm dying in pain. If you think I have chlamydia or gonorrhea or a UTI that travels up to my kidneys, just treat me for it right now and because uh, I'm in so much pain. And so he sure. did. He gave me medicine and gave me a roast fin shot. He also gave me painkillers. And at the time, the doctors were like, look, uh, we need to know if your boyfriend can have any STDs because if you have mm-hmm. an STD, you obviously got it from someone. 
And I'm like, well, he's the only one I've slept with in, you know, the past year. So that if it is an STD, there's, he's the only person that could have given it to me. So they confronted him, and he said he had nothing. He's clean. Um, he said that he'd get tested again, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't want to get tested there. He claimed to me at the at, um, at that point in time that that client didn't didn't cover his insurance, which I don't know if he was telling me the truth. In retrospect, when I look back at it, but he didn't get tested then, and he said that he'd get tested when he got back. To, um, he lives in Orange County, so when he got back to Orange County, he said he'd get tested. So, anyways, I was treated for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and uh, UTI that traveled to my kidney. Oh. Felt a little bit better that later that night. I mean, still felt awful. Um, but did they have a little um, better? So, so they had an antibiotic that would would uh, cover all all of those. Um, there they was, were hoping it would, or no? It, it, so there was a shot I took. It was called a, like a Rosafin shot. Ro- Ros- I think it's pronounced that way. And that the shot. Um, would 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 cure two of the the things. I think one was one of the STDs, and one was also a UTI that got had traveled to my kidneys. And then okay. I was given a prescription for the other, and I can't remember if it was for chlamydia or gonorrhea. So I, I took a combination of things that should have t- if if I had any of those things, it would have canceled. Then it would have cured me. Okay. So. I felt a little bit better that night, a little bit better the next day. Keep in mind, I'm also popping painkillers at this point to deal with pain. And you're still up in um, San Francisco, that, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm in San Francisco. And Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was, it was miserable. And um, we were driving back that Sunday, and I, I felt okay that morning. And that afternoon, we were we kind of were taking turns driving, and at one point when I was driving... Um, I went from feeling okay to turning into a, just a complete disaster. I was driving. I was slurring my speech. I was um, swerving in oblanes. Uh, I couldn't see. My vision was completely altered. Everything was, was becoming fuzzy and blurry. Um, the sun was setting, and people were turning on their headlights, their car headlights, and the headlights were just piercing my eyes. I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, like, why the light hurt my eyes so much. It felt like knives were being stabbed in my eyes. I was delirious. I I, I, I remember passing signs and not being able to read them accurately. Um, it was like I was drunk. Like It was like I had, had mm-hmm. drank three bottles of wine and I had not drinking any, drank anything that whole day. So I almost got us into a car accident. My We ended up going over and my boyfriend at the time you know, ended up driving. And then when I sat in the passenger seat for the rest of the car ride home, I just remember going from feeling okay to, like, the worst pain you could ever feel in my back, neck, and head, and and, and my and my brain, my eyes. And um, I just remember sitting there in tears and crying and just being in so much pain and having no idea what was happening to my body. I also mm-hmm. was sweating and then I was cold um, so I definitely had a fever um, and I was delirious too like I, I, I just was completely out of it so and we ended up getting back to my place and um, I just went straight to bed um, and I, I think we took my temperature at that point I definitely had a fever and I just went to bed and the next morning my boyfriend had already gone to work. I woke up. I'd slept for probably 12 to 16 hours. 
and I woke up and I felt way worse and I, I could barely stand up and at that point I called my mom and I'm like I, like I don't know what is wrong with me there's something very wrong with me and she's like go to the emergency room immediately and so I went to the emergency room and long story short they ended up diagnosing me with meningitis and at the time they because of all since my initial symptoms were vaginally related they basically said you know what like you could have um a form of meningitis that's triggered by an STD and we need to know who you're sleeping with and so I told them I only had one boyfriend and that's one person I was sleeping with and again they were like well we need to talk to him so my doctors ended up calling him and asked him if he could have anything and if he was sleeping with anyone else and he said he had nothing he had been tested he would get tested again and he's never had any STDs and um it, it, at that point in time, all my STD tests were negative, um, but my doctors were like, in a week, it, it, that could change. If you've just been exposed to an STD, the antibodies could just be forming now, and um, it could not show up on a test. So we won't know for sure if you if this has been caused by an STD like herpes or syphilis for at least seven days. And they're like, just so you know, if if this is syphilis meningitis or herpes meningitis, we really do need to know if you've been exposed to it because this this kind of meningitis causes the most brain damage. And if you've been exposed to herpes or syphilis, you're going to need to stay in the hospital and take this drug for the next week to avoid having serious brain damage. Well, I ended up getting released the next day. And, you know, I didn't think I had been exposed to herpes or syphilis. And either did my doctors based off of what I was telling them and my boyfriend was telling them. And, Sure enough, um, a week later, I was positive for herpes meningitis. So my treatment had been delayed and altered um, because my ex ultimately lied about his condition. And it turns out that my now ex has had both forms of herpes, herpes 1 and herpes 2. And my meningitis was caused by herpes. And because he lied about it, my treatment was delayed. And so my meningitis then spread to meningoencephalitis and left me with brain damage, unable to work. I literally could not read and write initially when I got sick. It was like having a stroke. So I went from living the life, having a wonderful life, being healthy and having Mm -hmm. a great job and my health to... um, losing my job, being unable to work, going from making six figures to going six figures into medical debt. Uh, I was unable to take care of myself. I had to go home and live with my parents for a while. Um, And it was a nightmare. (laughs) It was a nightmare. I I lost a lot. How, how, um, did you, did you have a predisposition to these diseases? um, Or is this something common that happens to other people? Because I've never well, heard, you know, I, I know that, you know, people get herpes 1 or they get 2, but I've I've never heard of it actually um, involving meningitis as well. Yeah, it's actually more common than people realize it is. And I think part of the reason why people don't hear about it is because I think a lot of times when people are diagnosed with meningitis, if, the, if it's herpes meningitis or syphilis meningitis, they leave that part out will just say they had meningitis because it's embarrassing. People don't want to admit that they have an STD. Um, but in terms of being predispositioned for this, um, I, I believe that 
when I was treated at that clinic for gonorrhea and chlamydia, mm-hmm. all my symptoms were not for herpes. And that's probably the reason why they let me go from the hospital, um, because I, I had no source, I had no visible symptoms, and that's why the doctors were so baffled, because I, 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 I appeared to have herpes meningitis or syphilis meningitis, but I, but the, I had no physical symptoms for it. I believe that I did have chlamydia or gonorrhea, that my ex gave me either chlamydia or gonorrhea and herpes, because my symptoms initially were not symptoms for herpes. So I had, like, vaginal irritation. I had, like, vaginal discharge. And a lot of those symptoms aren't symptoms for herpes. When you have herpes, the number one symptoms is you have, an, like, a physical outbreak. You have sores, you know, in your genital area. I didn't mm-hmm. have that. So I, and by the time I got to the hospital, I'd already been treated for chlamydia and gonorrhea. I believe that my ex gave me either chlamydia or gonorrhea, and I had and and by the time I got to the clinic and I was treated for it, I'd had symptoms for almost three weeks. Okay, so mm-hmm. think about that: I put either chlamydia or gonorrhea for three weeks, and I'm treating it with medicine that's not going to heal it, that's not going to cure it. Mm-hmm. And I think that having that STD broke down my immune system so much that I was mm-hmm. more vulnerable to getting another STD, which ultimately my ex gave me herpes too as well. And oh. having that, having herpes and gonorrhea or chlamydia, that was what predisposed me to meningitis because my immune system was so broken down trying to fight off not one, but two STDs, that that's why I believe that I was predisposed to meningitis. Because, you know, a lot of people have herpes, whether it's herpes 1 or herpes 2. Anyone that has a cold sore on their mouth, that's herpes. They have herpes. Um, and you're mm-hmm. right, it's not that common for people to get herpes meningitis. But I think if you have herpes and then you get something else, then your risks are much higher because it, your your immune system is a lot weaker. You know, my ex has herpes 1 and herpes 2, and that I know of, which so sure, because he lies about everything, but he's, that I know of, never had um, herpes meningitis. However, there have been other women that have come forward that have gotten um, other forms of encephalitis that have been uh, triggered from herpes from him. So, but... It's just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And you also keep in mind that uh, my ex, um, you know, I don't think he's ever had meningitis, but again, he lies about everything, so who knows. But you have to keep in mind also, mm -hmm. my ex takes medicine. So he actively takes medicine for herpes. So if you take medicine for herpes, you're much much less likely to get the herpes to get to that point where it turns into herpes meningitis. Whereas I had herpes and I wasn't taking medicine for it because I didn't know I had it. And so, you know, once I start showing symptoms for an STD, if he would have said, you know, I've had, I have this, maybe you should ask your doctor about this, get this checked out, it, this all would have been avoided. Never would have happened. Um, uh, what was his explanation to you for not letting you know? Um, it, it took him months to finally admit that he has herpes 1 and herpes 2. And, uh, he denied, denied, denied. He, you know, he he said that he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything. He tried to say, "Oh, you must have got it from someone else." 
uh, which is scientifically impossible because my first day in the hospital I was negative for herpes, and seven days later I was positive, but we still couldn't even tell what strain of herpes I had because the antibodies hadn't formed yet. And because of that, we were able to narrow down the exact timeline when I had been exposed and infected. Uh-huh. And so scientifically, my doctors are like, if you haven't slept with anyone else within the time frame, which I had it, then there's no one else that could have given it to you. Um, so I knew he gave it to me, but I, I was kind of clinging on to the hope that maybe he does, didn't know because I, I was still, mm-hmm. I was in love with this man. You know, I wanted to marry him. How how could this person that I'm in love with, we're talking about planning his future together. How could he sit there and lie, you know, when I'm literally in the hospital dying? <laughs> how could he sit there and lie to my doctors when my life's like the depends on it um i just couldn't wrap my my brain around that because i'm mm-hmm. i'm a very honest person so i'm thinking okay, well, mm-hmm. maybe he just picked it up too or maybe he just got it and he doesn't know i mean how could he lie but i ended up eventually calling his ex-wife and told her what happened to me and i said you know i think i i know that my ex gave this to me you know do you know anything about this and she said oh yeah he's had it for 20 years like he gave it to me and he gave it to a mistress he had in London while we were married. He was sitting on me, and I was like, what? And she's like, oh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't tell you that? Like, yeah, he's he's had it for years, and apparently he initially lied to her about having it, too, and the reason that she found out that he had it is because she found his prescription to treat herpes in the medicine cabinet in their bathroom. So um, finally I did get him to admit that he had it, and he basically... You know, he just kind of said that, you know, he, you know, hadn't had an outbreak in a while and, you know, he didn't think it was an issue anymore. And I mean, he just, he's a sociopath. He's a pathological liar. He just was feeding me, you know. And then he, he claimed that they didn't specifically ask about herpes, which they did, but even if they didn't specifically say herpes, if a doctor asks you if you have an STD, herpes, especially general herpes, that's an STD. So you know, you know, he 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 threw gave me a lot of excuses, and um, yeah, mm. and he didn't have much remorse oh, sadly for what he had done to me. Such a such a such a story, you know. And we're we're now going on twelve, about four years later. I mm-hmm. I assume that um any new relationship you have must it must be very difficult figuring out how to proceed in that arena. Um, um you know, I mean yeah. what do what do you do? What do you do with with, with these I know. With new it, people? It, what do you do? What do you do? Well I I'm engaged now, so I've I've been oh, able to congratulations. Turn my life Thank you. Yeah, I recently got engaged, and I've been able to turn my life around in all aspects, whether my health and, you know, uh, my career and in my personal life. And um, But I will say the first two years after my illness, I was so freaked out. I, I did not want to have anything to do with anyone. I did not want to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mm-hmm. terrified of dating. I was terrified of men. I did, was uncomfortable around you know, being around people I was uncomfortable dating, I and I had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, and then a year, the first one-year anniversary of, of of my disease, of getting my disease, my diagnosis, I started to develop really bad PTSD. So that even motivated me more to stay single and not go out and date. Um, but 
and you know, I'm I'm actually pursuing I've been pursuing civil and criminal charges against my ex for years now. And um I wanna say a year and a half after my meningitis my herpes meningitis diagnosis, uh I filed my lawsuit against my ex and I went public with it. I had them put my name on the lawsuit and I I told my lawyers that I was gonna I wanted to go public with this because I wanted to help other victims and I also wanted to, you know, educate people and and I also wanted my ex's name to get out there because I wanted other people that potentially are going to date this man and sleep with this person to know that he has diseases, um, which was a luxury that I didn't have when I dated him. You know, I didn't have that knowledge. Um, so when I went public um, with my disease, I actually ended up throwing, hosting a bachelorette party for my girlfriend in Mexico, and that's where I met my now fiance. He lives in Canada. And I was that that threat party was actually a week before my lawsuit was about to go public. So I kind of was a mess then because I knew I was, I was in Mexico um, having this wonderful time and it was a wonderful trip. And I knew in about a week um, my whole life was going to be a nightmare because my story was going to finally go public and people were going to know that I had an STD. And herpes sure. have a horrible stigma. People make fun of you know, they joke about herpes all the time. You always hear herpes jokes mm-hmm. on the late night talk shows. <laughs> and so I, you know, at this time in Mexico, I, I, the last night we were in Mexico, I like, broke down in tears because I just knew that oh. I was going back to complete hell. And then my now fiance, actually, I was talking about it. Um, I didn't know I wasn't updating him, but I was kind of confided in him. He was just kind of this nice guy that was there with his parents and his sister and I told I told him what I was going back to. I don't and I didn't think I'd ever see the guy again. <laughs> you know, he lives in Canada, I live in Los Angeles. So anyways, um and so my lawsuit went public and my, my health actually took a turn for the worse after my lawsuit went public and I think that was just the stress of going public. I had all like you know, after having the herpes meningitis and, and, and encephalitis, that's really destroyed my immune system. So it's like if I'm in the same room as someone that has anything, I I get it. So after my lawsuit went public, I ended up being in and out of the hospital with pneumonia, like just random infections. It was just pure hell. Um, so about six months after my lawsuit went public, I was like, "All right, I need to get back out there. I need. I don't. I don't want a person from my past that has done horrible things to me prevent me from being happy with someone else in the future." And so I'm like, "I need to, you know, stop. Just get rid of the fear and just start dating again." And so I started dating again and um and at the time my now fiance who I'd met in uh, Mexico had been pursuing me pretty hard you know by calling me and emailing me and you know like writing me on social media texting me all the time since I had met him in Mexico and he repeatedly asked me to meet up with him and go on trips with him and I was like are you kidding me I'm like in the hospital dying with pneumonia like I can't go to Europe (laughs) You like, you know, but then when I finally was feeling better he, and he could see on social media, I was actually leaving the house again. He was like, I'd really like to see you. You know, I just think you're a really cool person. No strings attached. Let's like meet up somewhere. And so I eventually ended up going to Canada. He's a, he has a sailboat. He likes to sail. And uh, I went to Canada and I ended up, and we ended up falling in love. Uh, I was just thought I was going to have a fun trip with a cool guy, but we ended up uh-huh. um, dating after that. And, you know, 
about two years later, now we're engaged. Um, but for me, I was lucky in the sense that he knew about my situation and that I have puppies sure. before we started dating. We became friends first. Uh, and mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that luxury. And so I do hear from True. people all the time that have herpes, like, you know, how do I deal with this? How do you date? And what I tell people is, is that, first of all, you legally have to tell them before you have sex with them because you don't want to end up like my ex where you may end up owing someone millions of dollars and, and you could also end up in jail because in California the crime is just exposing someone. So if you, sleep, if you have an STD and you expose someone, even if you don't infect them, you can still end up in jail. Um, but what I tell people is that you, it's, you shouldn't be sleeping with people on the first day anyways. So, you know, I think that the best way to go is go out with them, you know, on a few dates. And if it's progressing mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. feel like this person is the right person for you, then you can tell them um, and you have to tell them before you get intimate with them. And, you know, my medical examiner for my case kind of summed it up really well. He told me before I started dating again, he's like, you know what, I know it really sucks that you have herpes and it's going to be really hard for you to date people now that you have herpes and it's going to be hard to admit that. But he's like, I got to tell you, herpes is actually a good screener. You know, if someone's not going to want to pursue a relationship with you because you have herpes, then they're probably not the person for you because things in life happen. What if you get cancer one day? If you, if you, you know, date someone and you end up getting cancer one day, are they going to bail on you then too? Like stuff happens. And I was kind of like, you know what, that's a good way to look at it. You know, it's like if, you want someone to like you for who you are, not what your disability is, not what your disease is. And, and if, if they don't like you for who you really are and can't see past an illness or a disability, then they're not the person for you. Um, mm-hmm. so I tell people that all the time, you know, and it's like, you know, and, and I just know that my fiancé truly does love me because, you know, if if he didn't or if he was a superficial person, then he he wouldn't have pursued me, and he's not. And he, mm-hmm. ever since my lawsuit went public, he was just posting stuff on my social media, telling me before we were even dating how proud he was of me and what I'm doing is so brave. And, you know, so I got really lucky. And um, and I want other people to know, you know, whether you have herpes or anything, you know, most people will have some kind of health crisis in their life, um, you know, regardless of what, that ailment or disability may be, if someone really is a good person and they love you for you, then then your your health problems won't matter. They won't. Mhm. True. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So what what did you do? Um, for instance, as I understand your story, you had some brain damage. What did you do to get back to normal from that? Um. So the brain damage is, was the, the most devastating part of, um, of what the disease did to me. Um, I, after I got ill, there, I, there were so many issues with my brain. So the the disease swelled my brain and left lesions on my brain, and that left me with brain damage. And um, it affected my me cognitively. Um, it, it affected my ability to read and write uh, affected my memory. Um, just like the smallest things, like I would put, like for example, like I would 
find like salt and pepper in my fridge. Like that's how out of it I was. Like I didn't, my brain didn't understand that salt and pepper belong in the kitchen cabinet, not in the fridge. I was constantly, I remember once I threw dirty clothes in the garbage, like thinking that the garbage was a laundry basket. Um, it, was, oh it was crazy. It was like, it was like, it was crazy. Um, and I, I would look at words on a piece of paper and they, they, like they wouldn't, I would read them inaccurately. I would read a word to say something that it didn't say. And then I also became dyslexic, which I never was dyslexic before, but, and a lot of my friends noticed this, but when I would text people, the words would get jumbled up or I, I would misspell things. And I was a perfect speller. I was always, I mean, I'm an editor for a living. I was always great at spelling. Um, so those mm-hmm. are some of the things. My memory was awful. Like I couldn't remember a lot. And um, and then and then the, like the physical symptoms were um, the brain damage left me with photophobia. So it was extremely painful. To, and I still have photophobia to this day. It's just not as extreme. But um, the and tell our listeners what that is. So photophobia is an extreme sensitivity to light. And since your eyes are connected okay. to your brain and my brain was damaged, it made it extremely, extremely painful to be around lights, especially bright lights. So, for example, mm-hmm. if I would be driving at sunset and would, like, pull out my garage and, you know, go west, mm-hmm. the, the, the sun hitting my eyes, it, it literally felt like knives going through my eyes. And it would give me instant pain in my eyes, instant headache. Um, sitting at a computer was difficult, and it still is difficult because just the light from the computer. Um, you know, initially when I got sick, I, I my my brain was so swollen I couldn't even sit up in a chair because it it was too painful to hold my head up. And so I had to basically lay in bed all day long for weeks. And there's not much you can so do when you're laying in bed except. So was your recovery basically just um, a lot of time that w- that went by, or were there things that you were doing? Did you have therapy? Were you taking any supplements or special yeah. foods to recover? What what was your recovery like? So there were outside of different things I did. Yeah, the number one thing I, I had to do was sleep. Um, like the best thing for a brain injury is to, to sleep as much as possible. And that was really hard okay. for me because I'm a very active person and I'm very driven and I love working. I'm a workaholic. So just to surrender and be like, I just need to accept that I can't do anything right now and just sleep, that was hard for me. Mm-hmm. But once I said, you know what, like I have no choice, but I have to do this. Uh, once I surrendered and started just allowing myself to sleep a ton, um, I started healing faster. thing that I did when, when the photophobia um as the photophobia got less intense, it was easier for me to, like, research things online and read books and those kinds of things. Still difficult for me to do. But I started reading a lot about the brain and um, brain injuries. And so I, I did a lot of reading and picked up a lot of tips on how to restore your brain. And there's a lot of things that you, just small little things that you can do to restore your brain. Um there's a, actually an app that I downloaded called Lumosity, and they have brain exercises on this app. And, you know, the, there's puzzles and there's 
you know, mathematical equations and stuff. But I did a lot of things like that to try to um, speed up the recovery process of my brain. When I physically was able to work out again, my doctors also recommended, I love spinning, and they recommended that I spin as much as possible because that's such a high-impact uh, form of exercise that it brings a lot of oxygen to your brain, which also speeds okay. up the recovery of, of um, your brain. And then when I realized that I could not go back to work and I could not work a normal nine to five, mm-hmm. that's when I started writing the book. And I knew okay. I'd, I'd always wanted to write a book. That always been my mm-hmm. dream. I just never imagined that this would be my story. And my, I ended up writing my book based off of this crazy experience. And what I realized is that when I started writing the book and then I, when I was going through the editing process, which was in, very intense and it was very difficult. I was not, I, I had no idea what, what I was in store for. But when I started going through the editing process, I, I had two editors that edited my book. I would get, they would, I would send, you know, 500 pages to an editor and then I'd get 500 pages back and there would, I'd have to go into my computer. We, we did it all by hand and I'd have to go through 500 pages and like, you know, make all the editing changes on my computer based off of the manuscript in my hand. Doing that hand-eye coordination and going in and editing, you know, pages and pages, I really think that sped up my brain recovery. And my doctors were like, oh, your book is probably the best thing that you could do to speed up your brain mm-hmm. recovery. So I was constantly challenging my brain. And mm-hmm. so, there, you know, these are, there were, you know, when you, if you get a brain injury, it sucks. It, I mean, it's one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. But the brain does have the power to restore yourself. To, to restore itself, um, you know, if you and if you're very proactive about it, it can restore itself faster. And so I, you know, I started doing all these things, and I know that all these things contributed to my the healing of my brain. And my brain's still healing, but I, if I hadn't written the book, if I hadn't done all the spin classes, if I hadn't done the brain exercises, if I hadn't done all, if I wasn't proactive, mm-hmm. it would not have recovered as quickly as it. It did, and, and, and let me now, tell you, now, it wasn't quick. <laughs> yeah, the 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 legions will remain, but what's happening is your brain is rewiring itself through all the conditioning that you've done. Exactly, exactly. Yep, you're exactly right. And I, I will say that something that's been really interesting um, to me is that I've noticed that since my injury. My my mm-hmm. brain, I can feel how my brain's re- rewired itself because I've noticed that areas of my brain that were weak are now strong, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. So certain things like mm-hmm. my memory, things I used to be really strong at, are weak. But then areas that I felt were weak, such as creativity, are much stronger. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. your brain does over. I do believe your brain overcompensates the areas that haven't been damaged. Those ones. I do believe those areas work twice as hard. You know, it's like if you lose mm-hmm. an arm and you only have a right arm, well, your right arm gets twice as strong as it was when you had two arms. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Where are you now with your lawsuit? Oh, so <laughs> I believe we're going to be deposing my ex in the next couple of weeks. It's going on for quite a few years, correct? It, it's been going on for over three years now. Um, yeah, we tried to yeah. settle. We went to mediation. Um, basically, at mediation, my ex, who, by the way, owns several million-dollar homes. This guy isn't, 
you know, living in a studio apartment. He has mm-hmm. money. Um, he at mediation, he did not want to give me even enough money to pay for my medical bills. So that's mm-hmm. when I, you know, knew that I needed to file this lawsuit because he wasn't taking this seriously and he was, showed no remorse whatsoever. So mm-hmm. anyways, we're, mm-hmm. we're we're doing depositions now. We're going to be deposing a lot more people um, on his side and the trial is supposed to start April 24th. So, so we shall okay. see. Oh, gee. Well, I, I wish you the best on that. Uh, thank you. It's got to be really, really stressful, the whole the whole thing, because you, you have to continually relive relive it. You can't just let it go yeah. at this stage of your life. Yeah. What's yeah, the award not... that you won for, for your book, Malice? Um, I won an award for my book um, at the Hollywood Book Festival last summer, and mm-hmm. it was for best fiction book in the wild card category. My book's a political romantic thriller, so it kind of could fit into a thriller category or it could fit into a romance category, so it was very suiting that it actually won in the wild card because it kind of is a very wild book and covers so many different genres, (laughs) I guess. But, um, But, yeah, it was such an honor to go from, you know, being so sick and not sure. be able to read or write to not only completing a novel with brain damage, but then to win an award for it was just so humbling. And oh, my the gosh, of course. It was awesome. And the specific awards um, festival, they only honor books that they are going to push to tr- turn into screenplays. So and that's what was the book mind. festival called? What's it called? It's the Hollywood Book Festival. It's an annual oh, book festival. Oh, the Hollywood. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Hollywood Book Festival. Okay. Yeah. And so gotcha. and my, my, my ultimate goal with this book is to turn it into a screenplay. I actually initially wrote it as a screenplay, but then was mm-hmm. advised to turn it into a book first before it turns into a screenplay. So the fact that this awards, you know, festival that only honors books that they believe would make for fantastic screenplays was just mm-hmm. really exciting um, that is really cool. That really is. Yeah. That would that would very much help you with your bills. <laughs> exactly. What are you right? doing? What are you doing for work now? Well, my book actually is a trilogy, and so I'm writing book two right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I started. I I still freelance. I do freelance journalism when I can, and I actually also started speaking. So I do speaking events. I speak at universities and at conference um, about. STD awareness, health, um, brain injuries, anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, all that good stuff. So, and I've, I've really become an advocate for people that have been good victims of sexual assaults. I do charity events now. I just hosted a charity event benefiting the rape victims advocates in Chicago. Um, because what happened to me is considered a form of rape. Under the eyes of the law, it's a sexual assault because I never agreed to have sex with someone that had an STD. I agreed to have sex with someone that said they didn't have any STDs. So, you know, when someone says they don't have an STD and then it can, and then and then has, you know, unprotected sex with you, that's an unwanted advance and assault on your body. So I really kind of, you know, become this, um, this uh, space for, for victims, and you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. the people that I hear from all over the world. I mean, 
I, I had no idea that so many people have been in a similar situation that I have been and how, how many people have, you know, herpes or HIV or some form of STD and, you know, they've, they've lived in fear, they haven't been able to date, they weren't able to, you know, pursue mm-hmm. charges against mm-hmm. the person that infected them. And, you know, um, so it's been actually really rewarding to be able to help so many people. It's, you know, it feels really good. I went through such a horrible experience and, you know, I, I did. really like felt bad for myself and played the why me game for a long time. But now mm-hmm. it's like, I get it. It's like, all right, this all wasn't in vain. Like this, there was a higher purpose to all the pain and suffering I went through. And that was to help mm-hmm. so many other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, the most painful life lesson you'll probably ever experience. But in that you took it and you turned your life around, and you're doing good things for people. Exactly. So, um, you know, applaud you for that. Well, Thank we're you. running out of... You're welcome. We're running out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Um, um, where can people buy your book, for instance? And um, I guess, if you have any yeah, upcoming you can buy- speaking engagements, let us know about those. Absolutely. Yeah, as of now, you can you can buy my book on Amazon.com. You can buy the paperback okay. or, the, or the Kindle version. And I guess, like, I just would, you know, on a final note, like, I, I just want people to know that no matter what happened in your life, whether you're, you know, the victim of a crime, you're the victim of a sexual assault, or maybe you get into a car accident that, you know, like, Mm-hmm. impaired you or leaves you with a disability um, or you have an STD, whatever it may be, I just hope that people like hear my story, read my story, and it get, gives them hope and inspiration that that they too can overcome whatever challenges they're facing in their life and that even if you mm-hmm. do have a disability or a disease, you still can find someone that will love you. If I've been able to do Uh-oh. it, I can do it. You know? Oh, that's so sweet. That's really sweet. Well, but it, thank but you, Liz Broken. You're welcome. It thank is. you so much for having me it on. Is. You you really you really have inspired a lot of listeners, I'm sure. You know, it's it's all about taking action and and not, you know, staying in a in a self-pity mode. You know, exactly. you get up, you stand you stand up, you fight and you move on. I think that's really exactly. what your message um, Absolutely. you have given us today. Well, take care, and, and thank, thank you again so much. So much. All right, Bye-bye. Jamie, you take care, too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. And please tune in again next Thursday. We're going to have another really great show for for you all. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?